we are continuing our series of Summer Reformation, and our focus has been to present the abiding truth that is found in Scripture that came out through the Protestant Reformation and is best represented by five abiding truths. And those principles that form those truths are grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And indeed, the, the truth that wraps itself around those principles really provides the foundation upon which the gospel message stands. If these truths are not incorporated into the gospel, then it really is not a gospel at all. It is just a hollow and empty platform. But thanks be to God, the truth of Scripture comes bursting through in grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so we've looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, to provide a backdrop as we've walked through the specifically the topic of sola fide, by faith alone. The justification of the sinner by faith alone. We've talked about what is it, what does it do, and why is it important. So this morning we're going to take a look in depth at the last two aspects of this message. What does it do? Why is it important? To do so, let me just briefly go over uh, a little of what we talked about last Sunday. Uh, we focused on a working definition of what genuine biblical faith is. We took a look specifically at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and the writer says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So in the Bible, having faith is believing that God will do what God says he, has, he will do as evidence by what he has already done and is currently doing. What has God done? God has provided a solution to our sin issue. What is God doing? God is extending to everyone an invitation to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts as Lord and Savior. And even this morning, I pray that the Lord is standing at the door of somebody's heart this morning and that you would listen to him and open up your heart because God is doing a great work of saving the lost. What will God do to those that have been justified one day when we stand before the throne of God and he looks and, and he asks that question, why should I let you into my heaven? And we can stand because, and say, because we have been justified by the blood of Christ. Amen. And it's by faith alone that we accept that into our hearts. It's the past, present, and future reality of what God is doing. And there's great evidence that we may walk away with great confidence that we can depend by faith on God to do what he says 
that he will do. Now, faith is indeed believing. But what does it mean to believe? And, you know, sometimes I think we make faith out to be this mysterious thing that's just difficult to get our arms around. And, and indeed, faith has a complexity to it that is very deep because it is a very important aspect of what it means to be a believer in Christ. But yet the Lord would have us to understand what it means to have genuine biblical faith. And to speak to that, let me try to break it down just a bit and talk about three basic elements of what it means to believe. Three basic elements of what it means to believe. That first element that I want to talk about is knowledge. Knowledge. To have saving faith is to have knowledge of something. There is an object of what biblical saving faith is. And that object is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God has provided for us information concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We have knowledge of Christ, the object of our faith. Now, faith is not identical to knowledge, but it's about knowing something that's based on solid and cognitive evidence. It is an objective truth that is not based on fantasy or wishful thinking. We call that kind of thinking superstition. Now, superstition is a very interesting concept. Uh, superstition is the object of blind faith. Christianity is the object of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Superstition is blind faith. And Christians are never asked to take a leap of blind faith. You know, superstition incorporates many things, but genuine biblical faith is based on solid knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know something, folks? If, if we're not careful, we could all add just a little bit of superstition get into our belief system. Yeah, you know what I mean. You, you don't let a black cat cross your, your path. And Lord, don't ever run over a snake. For the next 100 miles, you're waiting for that thing to jump back up and kill you. You know what I'm talking about. But here's the truth. Here's the deal. Superstition confuses reality with fantasy and truth with falsehood. Faith bailed on superstition is not Christian faith at all. It's rational and it's not what we as believers believe in. You know, and we ought to be careful, again, when it comes to superstition. We ought to not confer power to inanimate objects because, in essence, they are powerless. Many of you wear crosses around your neck, and that's okay. But if you lose your cross, you don't lose your faith. You know, there's some religions that confer power on relics and dead people. If their faith is based on these things, then indeed their faith is truly dead. 
saving faith is based on clear evidence and information. It's information that produces knowledge that may be received, understood, and embraced. It is clear and it is rational. Christian faith is based on knowledge that is intelligible and it's not subject to how I feel. I must have Christ in my head in order to have him in my heart. And so it boils down that Christian faith as a key element of what genuine biblical faith in has that element of knowledge. But in addition to knowledge, biblical faith also has the element of knowing with strong conviction that the knowledge that we have is true. So we have knowledge. That's a good thing. But not only do we have knowledge, we believe that what we have is true. Now that may sound a little mixed up, but it really isn't. For instance, just the past week, Terry and I watched a movie that was based on the true story of the legal battle that took place concerning if the Holocaust actually happened in World War II. In spite of all the evidential knowledge that supports the fact that the Holocaust actually happened, there are lots of people who say that it didn't. Those are the same people that ran over that snake a while back and still looking for it to come back and get them. To have saving faith, we must have those two elements, knowledge and the conviction that the knowledge we have is indeed true. And then there's a third element. There's a third element that is required to really have complete, genuine, biblical knowledge. So we can have knowledge and we can believe that it's true. Those are issues of the mind. If we don't have knowledge, then we're ignorant, and God wouldn't have us to be ignorant. If we don't believe that the knowledge that we have is true, then we don't have conviction. God wants us to have conviction. So at a minimum, we've got to have those two. But to complete the picture of genuine biblical faith, there's a third element. I like to call that third element a positive disposition, a positive disposition. Biblical faith must involve a positive disposition towards the knowledge that one has and believes to be true. Now, this may sound like a bunch of theological mumbo-jumbo, but it's a critical aspect of our discussion of true biblical faith. Maybe, let, maybe I can use an example out of the Bible to talk about what positive disposition is. In James chapter 2, verse 19, listen to what the Apostle James says in his discourse to the church. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, this gets to the heart of the matter of positive disposition. 
The demons have knowledge of God. In fact, they believe and know that God the Father is God. They know that God the Son is God. They know that God the Holy Spirit is God. They believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We can't even get some theologians to buy into the gospel of the Trinity. But demons don't. They have knowledge. One element of genuine biblical faith. But they also have that second element. They believe that the knowledge that they have is true. Well, how do I know that? Well, Jesus speaks to it. Matthew 8, 29. Jesus is addressing uh, the demons that he is casting out of the possessed man. And in Matthew 8, 29, he says, this is what the demons say back to Jesus. They say, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And and there you have it. The, The demons not only have objective proof about who Jesus Christ is, they believe in who he is. In a manner of speaking, it is correct to say that demons have a measure of truth and of faith. But to have a measure of faith is not the same thing as having genuine biblical faith. So that begs the question, why did their faith not qualify as saving biblical faith? And please listen to this. It makes all the difference in the world about the type of faith you have. The demons know about God, and they know it is true. But they were missing the third element of true biblical faith. They did not have a positive disposition towards God as the outcome of their faith. So what is positive disposition? Listen, positive disposition is to place one's trust fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It it is coming to realize the exceptional value of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. As a result of possessing this third element of saving faith, positive disposition, our souls are moved in an irresistible manner towards embracing Christ as the pearl of unsurpassed value. In this sense, grace indeed is irresistible. We realize in an instant that there is absolutely nothing that compares to Jesus Christ. We are drawn to him and are willing to forsake everything to possess Christ. We have a positive disposition towards Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Believers have knowledge about Christ, They believe what they know about Christ to be true, and they have a positive disposition towards him. That's what it means 
to have genuine biblical faith. And for any of those three elements to be missing, faith falls apart. And so when we talk about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, what does it do? And we've already certainly covered certain aspects of what justification by faith alone does. Justification by faith alone is the doctrine that says the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to our account. It says that there's nothing that we could ever do to justify our standing before a holy and right God. Well, last week we talked about the fact that uh, it is impossible for a truly born again believer to be a prideful Christian. Pride and Christian simply do not go together. And that's because we recognize we are justified before God on the basis of his work and his work alone. I've also mentioned that it is impossible for a truly born-again believer in Jesus Christ to be a fruitless Christian. And to be a fruitless Christian gets to the heart of what I want to talk about briefly under the doctrine of justification by faith alone and what does it do. What does it do? We need to realize that as a direct and necessary consequence of being declared right with God, genuine biblical faith initiates the process of fruit production in the life of the believer. We have been saved by faith alone but not a faith that is alone. We have been saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Again, if we look at our text, Romans 5, Paul starts to introduce this aspect of productivity in the life of the believer. And, and, and really, you can look at productivity from, from two aspects. There's a, a productivity within our character, and then as our character begins to experience and live out the transformation of justification, there's a resulting tangible, concrete aspect of what we do as believers in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 3 through 5 reads, and not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, noting that suffering, and note this word, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Christian life is a life that is productive. And again, genuine Christians with genuine Christian biblical faith become productive. 
and you know, our production occurs regardless of the situations that surround our life. Paul says that we rejoice in suffering. So beloved, even when we suffer, we are still to exhibit Christian productive works of righteousness. We are to produce qualities that demonstrate indeed our justification is genuine. You know, Paul speaks to this this context, this this subject of production in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. That's a verse where he says that we ought to work out our soul's salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. The word work out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that word work out, is exactly the same word that Paul uses in Romans 5 and 4 that we are to produce. Produce and work out are exactly the same word. And this production begins at salvation. It continues on throughout the believer's life, and it finds its ultimate fulfillment in the future when glorification happens. That's another one of those examples of past, present, and future. Now, again, not only does our character begin to manifest the outworking, the productive outworking of that justified state that we now are in, but there are also tangible, concrete evidences of the fact that we have been born again. A fruitless Christian is a contradiction in terms. That's the reason James wrote his epistle to the church. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, hit the issue right squarely on the head. Here's what Brother James says. He says in verse 14 of chapter 2, What? Good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. In verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith apart from works, is dead. When it comes to providing proof of your faith, you must have works. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. That's exactly what James is saying, and that's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16. You shall know them by the fruit they bear. Now, how do we deal with this distinction? On one hand, we've got Paul saying, 
faith alone. Justification by faith alone. Praise God for that. On the other hand, we've got Brother James going, faith without works is dead. How do we reconcile those two issues? Well, here's what's going on. Paul is dealing with the aspect of faith that justifies the sinner before God. He is dealing with what makes the relationship between God and man right. It is only what God does that is in play in this regard. On the other side of the issue, James is dealing with what is required, and listen up please, is what's required to authenticate genuine biblical faith from one person to another person. Paul is dealing with what's happening with God. James is talking about what happens with us. So picture this. Genuine faith is like a coin with two sides. A coin with two sides. One side faces God. The other side faces man. Each side has a distinct function, but it's just one coin. Each side has a unique purpose, but it's just one coin. The side of the coin that faces God declares that the work performed is only done by God. The other side of the coin represents the works of righteousness that demonstrate and present the evidence of our justification to others. Genuine saving faith always produces works of righteousness. These works of righteousness begin with a change in our standing before God that impacts our character which then begins to produce tangible, concrete actions that others will see. And please understand, even though our works to authenticate our faith between others has nothing to do with our justification, that does not mean they're not important to God. They are important to God. And more importantly, the motivation behind what we do and why we do it is paramount to God. God is looking at our motivation. Our motivation is critical. You can produce good works to bring yourself glory and to earn your reward before man or you can do good works to glorify God. Motivation is critical. Paul speaks to that to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 through 15. Look at that sometime. Paul is careful to point out that believers must keep their motivation in mind. Our salvation is assured by the work of Christ, but our works are. Aren't. Our works 
won't stand or burn based on the motivation out of which we produced them. Our motivation is critical. You know, it is possible for a person to have wonderful works, but at the judgment, it will count them nothing. They are the people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Lord, Lord, look what a good I've done in your name. I've, I've fed the hungry and I, I've clothed the naked. And Jesus will say, depart from me because I knew you not. Motivation is critical. Our works never justify us before God. The doctrine of justification by faith alone makes this clear. We are justified solely on the basis of the work that Jesus Christ has done. But we have a work that is always followed by good. We have a faith that's always followed by works. Always. So why is this important? And that's, that's the last point I want to leave with you this morning. Why, why is all of this so important about this doctrine of justification by faith alone? You know, as we live out our Christian life, there is a battle that's raging around us. Uh, and the battle is full of enemies that are looking to take us down. And there are three enemies in particular that believers need to be aware of. Uh, Satan, the world, and our flesh. And each of these enemies would want to eat away at the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You know, Satan, Satan whispers in our mind, hey, you can't trust God. Uh, he, he says that you're going to be justified by faith alone, but you just wait. When you get up there, you're going to have to have a good solid track record of everything that you've done to justify that you're worthy to enter into the kingdom of God. Satan loves legalism and a works-based religion because he knows that it's a dead end. The world demands that you work for everything that you have. If you want something, go out there and work for it. We turn our noses up at anyone who's looking for a handout. Go out and work for it. Our flesh feeds our pride that leads us to boast about the things we have done. You know, it's a battle that constantly eats away at the doctrine of justification by faith alone so that we can enjoy what Paul says in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants to eat away at that peace. But because we know that we've been justified by faith alone, we can have that peace. God gives us the knowledge that we need to fight this battle successfully. Not only does he give us the knowledge, but he knows the knowledge that we have is true so that we can fight this battle successfully. And not only do we have knowledge and, and we have the, the fact that we know it's true, but we have a positive disposition that we embrace 
the truth that God gives to us. And so we have peace. But we've got something else too. Just look in your Bible and just move over a few pages to Romans chapter 8. Just move over to Romans chapter 8. And, and, and here's some of the glorious truth of the reality of what we have in Christ Jesus. What we know, what we know it to be true, and we have a positive disposition towards it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, says this. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, those are glorious words. Those who have been justified by Jesus Christ are no longer under any condemnation. And when our enemies, the world, Satan, and the flesh riled up against us to say that we don't have a sure standing before God, you can stand secure based on the word of God. Satan can't condemn you any longer. The world can't condemn you any longer. Your flesh cannot condemn you any longer because there is no condemnation. And look on down a little bit further in chapter 8. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. We're going to have a good time this morning. Look at verse 33. What does it say? For who shall bring any charge against God's elect. Are you able to grasp what Paul is saying? We are in God's courtroom, and he is asking the question, is there anyone here big or bad enough to go against the verdict that God has handed down in this matter? Is there a court of higher appeal that anyone can bring a case to overturn the verdict of God. We are talking about the Supreme Court of the universe and the chief justice presiding over the proceedings is none other than the Lord God Almighty. And he is pronouncing you are innocent. You are innocent. And so Paul closes out Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Grab all of that. It is the Lord God Almighty who justifies. There's no more glorious reality than that. We'll back up a little bit in chapter 8. Look at, starting at verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or death, or any 
else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. I'm going to go on to verse 28. Verse 28. And we know that these, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? His purpose is this. You have been justified by faith alone. There is nothing that should shake your confidence in that glorious reality of what you have in Christ Jesus. You know, I love the song that uh, Doug introduced. You know, we ought to listen very carefully to the words of songs that we sing. And I thank Doug, God so much that Doug, Doug does a great job of that. But I especially love this hymn. And listen to that, verse, that closing stanza. Here are the words. It says, oh, let my soul arise and sing. My confidence is not in vain. The one who fights for me is king. His oath, his covenant remain. No condemnation now I dread. Eternal hope is mine instead. His word will stand. I stand redeemed. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. And so that's what I want to leave with you with this morning concerning the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In just a few minutes, Pastor Sam's going to come and he's going to lead us through celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of the two ordinances practiced in our church that the Lord Jesus Christ himself instituted. And I think it's very appropriate that we take the supper after discussing the atoning work of Christ to satisfy God's demand for a perfect sacrifice to address the problem of sin. By faith alone, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to our account and places all of our sins on Jesus Christ. It is his defining act of love for condemned sinners. Jesus hangs on a tree to take away their sins. He would suffer, bleed, and die just for us. That is what justification is. Jesus doing for us what we are not able to do for ourselves. He will become the perfect atoning sacrifice to take away our sins. And after hanging on that cross, three days later, Jesus rose again. And in rising again, Jesus left this church here on earth to continue the work that he has started. Not only does he justify us, but we are now fruitful Christians who have a faith that is not alone. We are people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to have good works. We work out our justification 
with fear and trembling so that men may see our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. And when our enemies rise up to destroy the peace we now have in Christ, we can respond with the truth of Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why it's so important that we understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone. There's no one who can bring a charge against God's elect, for it is God himself who justifies us. What blessed people we are. And we have the privilege this morning of remembering what Jesus Christ has done to make all of this possible. Past, present, future.